Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. Returning to the podcast today is Jeff Cardone. Jeff is a partner at Luce Gorman, where he specializes in helping credit unions with mergers and acquisitions, executive compensation, and employee benefits. In this episode, Jeff gives us an update on what the credit union movement needs to be thinking about in regards to subordinated debt in the current higher interest rate economic environment. Welcome back to See You on the Show, Jeff Cardone. I'm glad you're back. Great to be here. So last time we recorded, it was 2021, and the world was a completely different place. You helped us with a lot of great information about thinking about getting ready to issue subordinated debt to get approved, right, pre-approved to do that. And of course, since then, a massive interest rate surge, credit unions now being concerned with deposits and uh, lots and lots of merger and acquisition activity. So Jeff, we're delighted you're back again today. And uh, let's talk about subject. If you could remind our listeners what happened back in January with the change, and then what sort of activity are you seeing in that area? And, and what do you think the credit union movement needs to be thinking about in regards to subject? Yeah, no, it's great to be back. Just to refresh the listeners' memories, if you're tuning in again, subdebt, a lot of credit unions think of it as secondary capital. In essence, it's a borrowing. You as a credit union are going out, you're borrowing money. So it's not any different than that. It's going to be booked on your balance sheet as a loan. But the benefit to this is, is that it's going to be accorded regulatory capital treatment. It's, and if you're low-income designated, it's going to be 100% accretive to your net worth. If you're not low-income designated, it will be accretive to your risk-based capital ratio. So it's it was a real game changer because it now allows credit unions to raise actual equity capital outside of retainer. So I mean, that is the true benefit to this. And there's a whole regulatory approval process that you have to go through. So if you desire to issue your state charter, you have to go to your state regulator. You're going to go to the NCUA. You have to get pre-approved. And then once you get pre-approved, then you have two years to be an issuer and you can go out and raise that cap. So that's the nuance of the rule. I would just say we've seen a, probably done about close to a dozen sub-debt raises in various phases. We have, we have a lot of clients who actually went out and raised the capital. We have others who are not quite ready to raise capital, but sort of just in, in preparation or for planning purposes, they've gone out and gotten pre-approved. And I always recommend doing that, and we can talk more about this throughout the process, but you can go out and get pre-approved, and then you have two years to issue. Because from start to finish, it's essentially a six-month process when you factor in the regulatory approval process. But if you get that behind you, and then you have got pre-approved, then it's now a matter of weeks where you can go out and get that capital. So that's kind of been what's going on from what we're seeing right now with the subnet. and kind of refresher on that. Yeah, the pre-approval is an interesting idea. It's sort of like a bit of an insurance policy. And in personal finances, I think of it like a, a home equity line of credit. You see a lot of people do that and they just have a home equity line of credit. They have no balance on it. They just have that money there. 
in case they need to get access to capital. It's a no-cost way to have that access to capital. Now, of course, a credit union is a much more complex financial system, but uh, the idea that uh, they can uh, get access to the capital markets pricing on subordinated debt is one that I think would be particularly compelling in this time. But it takes six months to go through the process, right? That's a great way to think of it as, as a home equity. Back when we talked last time, deposits and liquidity was not an issue. Now that pendulum with the rising interest rate environment has swung completely the other way. So now a lot more credit users are coming back from a strategic standpoint. And even if they don't necessarily ready to issue, because we are in a higher rate environment, they are ready to at very least get the pre-approval process behind them. And yeah, I would say it's a little, when I said six months, it's really to get the capital. So basically, if you go planning, filing your application, getting pre-approved, that's about a three, four month process. And then when you decide, okay, let's issue and go out and, and raise the capital, tack on another three weeks out thereafter. So you get that behind you, you have that quote unquote home equity. I think that's a great analogy. And then when you need it, now you have quick, much quicker access to it. Because I always tell clients, look, at the end of the day, you want to avoid, I call it just in time capital. Because it happens all the time. Whether you're you're trying to be defensive, you're trying to be strategic and, and be a purchaser. You know, I've had a client, for example, who want to buy a bank and they went out and they're looking at their pro forma capital levels. It's like, oh my goodness, I'd love to have access to capital. And I was like, gosh, I wish you got pre-approved because you can get that capital matter weeks. And now you're going to tack on another, again, it's a six-month process. So it's all about being proactive and planning, particularly in this environment. How does the cost of capital compare from sub-debt versus the other options that credit unions might consider if they had a situation where they needed a capital raise quickly? No, that's a good point. I mean, you could always go out and do a borrowing, an FHLB borrowing. It's probably a little bit cheaper. But again, the real true value add to doing the sub-debt is it's accretive to your net worth. It's treated as regulatory capital. If you do a straight-up borrowing, you're not going to get the benefit. So that that's the true value proposition of sub-debt. So not only do you get the liquidity, your regulatory capital, your net worth, your risk-based capital ratios increase, and it's more accretive. So obviously having the sub-debt as part of your regulatory capital is a strength over going and borrowing that money. How would you suggest credit unions think about when to do one versus the other? What happens from a regulatory perspective when you're going to do sub-debt, part of the application process is you have, the credit union would have to put together business plan, pro forma analysis, and, we, and you have to show the regulators, one, what are you going to use the proceeds for? And secondly, what's the pro forma effect on your balance sheet, your capital? How are you going to service the debt? So I think you, you balance that. Certainly, if you can go get an alternative source that may be less, you kind of look at the delta between the sub-debt rate you may be paying. Let's say the sub-debt rate is 6%, but you can go out and get a borrowing at 4%. The real value proposition to the credit union is going to be when looking at what's a better source is, yes, we're going to pay more for sub-debt, but we get the benefit of adding that or sub-debt amount or proceeds to our capital, our regulatory capital, whereas a traditional borrowing, you would not. And where this really comes into play, take a merger transaction. Credit union goes out, they're going to buy a bank. Unlike credit union mergers, you actually have to buy, pay for that equity you're going to be getting, and it's going to be a hit to your pro forma capital. So credit unions will go out and raise sub-debt to kind of bring back their capital levels to a level that the board and the C's management teams are comfortable. Whereas if you did that, if you try to recoup that capital with a non-sub-debt or another alternative borrowing source, yeah, you'll get that liquidity back, 
but your pro forma capital will not change as a result. So that's the real value proposition. Now, look, if the subject markets, if the rates get too high, then you look at it and say, look, if the cost of servicing the debt is just too much, we're not going to do that. But to me personally, I think the value or the fact that it's accretive to your regulatory capital, to me, outweighs paying a little bit less on a more traditional borrowing, such as from Federal Home Loan Bank or any other source or line of credit. Yeah. And I imagine you could unwind it, right? Have you seen a credit union issue sub debt and then have a different capital option that is more desirable? Yeah. Because the other piece to this too with sub debt, the reason it gets regulatory capital treatment, although it's going to feel like a borrowing, legally it's a security. So to get regulatory capital treatment, it can't be callable for at least five years. So you're really committed to this. That's how the regulators would view this as true capital. If you could just redeem it right away, let's say a very short-term borrowing, you're not going to get a courted regulatory capital treatment. So it's a little bit less flexible in that regard. But again, you get the benefit of that's one of the requirements to get courted regulatory capital treatment, net worth or risk-based capital. You mentioned M&A just a moment ago, and we we did uh, obviously a couple of episodes before about when uh, you are the acquirer M&A transaction or when you're being acquired or being merged. Uh, So those are in our uh, 2021 episodes that you and I did together. These days, I imagine that activity has changed. What have you seen change in uh, M&A activity for 2022? I would say what we're seeing right now at least on the credit union side, I think what's keeping boards up at night right now is the deposit issue. I think with rates going up, cost of funds going up, there's true concerns about membership runoffs, particularly for smaller credit unions. And I think that's certainly driving some M&A activity, particularly for smaller credit unions who are looking to partner up, whether it's a merger of equals with a comparable size credit union or partnering up with a larger credit union. The other end of the pendulum in the, in the credit union space, we've seen a tremendous uptick this year in credit unions looking to acquire banks. Now, the real value proposition of that is, again, to expand the products and services that these acquisitive credit unions are offering to their members. So to a credit union will find a bank. And a lot of these banks, they have some sort of retail component. They're generally more on the commercial lending side, one to four family, not so much very active in the consumer. And that's the real value proposition is the credit you can come in and augment what the, the bank's doing with the retail, the consumer lending piece. And then that hopefully will attract more members, create more value. So that's been the true value proposition. That's why you're seeing a lot of credit unions looking at banks, sort of an alternative growth strategy than just traditional credit union, credit union mergers. I know I follow the press and I've seen, the, I think, a couple recently where the regulators have turned those down, right? Yeah, it depends on the state. Some states are more political than others. For example, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska. So certainly that's part of the due diligence process. If you're going into a state, if you're a credit union or you're acquiring a state charter bank, that's something to look at. Now, conversely to that, if you're in a state like Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, all these states we've done deals in, it's a much more favorable regulatory environment. But I think what's paramount if you're going to undertake a bank acquisition strategy is you find the right partner first. And then secondly, you need to obviously be engaging with your regulators, both on the credit union side and certainly on the bank side, just to make sure 
you're on firm footing from a regulatory standpoint and getting the deal done. You just mentioned uh, buying banks because sometimes they have stronger commercial operations. In one of the episodes we did, we talked to True Treasury, credit union CUSO organization that helps credit unions pursue commercial deposits. And in that episode, kind of one of my takeaways is how that can be quite an inexpensive source of deposits for credit unions. I would imagine that if you are a more deposit-heavy or low-cost-of-deposits institution, you might be finding a lot of suitors these days. Are are you seeing that? Are you seeing deposits drive uh, M&A activity? Absolutely. That's a great point. Because now with the commercial relationships, not only you're you're doing the lending, you're also doing all the deposit. You're going to get their deposits slash share accounts. So that is the other true value proposition, sort of beyond just the commercial lending piece. I think the credit unions that we're working with that are being inquisitive are also evaluating core deposit base, sticky deposits, you know, area growth, field of membership expansions in these new market areas. So that that is certainly a big or key component to credit unions in terms of evaluating a, a bank acquisition. As we head towards the end of 2022 and, and into the the great unknown of the economic backdrop of dramatic interest rate hikes and potentially a slowdown in borrowing activity and deposits hard to come by, the idea that I'm hearing is that more credit unions might want to look at getting pre-approved for sub debt. So they have that as one of the choices in case that's uh, it becomes a necessary option, as you said, either in offense, because you're going to you're gonna buy somebody. Is there any other reason that you could uh, come up with why they would want to have that, that capital offensively? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly buying banks, I think, whether it's buying branches, funding organic growth opportunities, certain reimagining or enhancing your balance sheet. If you have other problematic loans or risks of charge-offs, I mean, that's kind of more the, de- the defensive reasons for doing it. I'll just tell you, Doug, and I say this all the time when I give presentations, my big takeaway, if you don't listen to anything else I've said, if you're a credit union out there, I don't see any downside to getting pre-approved for sub debt. Even if you're kind of on the fence of actually being issued, you always want to maximize the tools in your toolbox. And capital is always king. Regulators are, are going to be, particularly in this environment with, with higher interest rates, risk of deposit runoff, you're going to probably see a little bit downswing in, in loan demand, given where we are in the economy. And regulators want to make sure that credit unions have robust capital plans. Getting pre-approved, I think, makes a lot of sense for those reasons. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you really haven't seen the pickup in volume that you would expect in this environment. Maybe it's just credit unions getting more comfortable with this. And you mentioned in the presentations that you do, is there any place that you can tell our listeners where they can uh, hear more from uh, Jeff Cardone or Luce Gorman about this issue? Besides on this podcast, right? This is our fourth episode together, so we got a lot of we got a lot of Jeff right here. We put together a white paper that kind of takes a deep dive into the the nuances of the NCUA's rules, the regulatory framework, kind of like a high-level timeline. I always think that's a great starting point. I always recommend to boards, typically boards meet at least annually to talk about strategic planning. I think capital should be a part of that, subordinated debt. So I think the very good first step is just the educational piece, understanding what sub-debt is, how it works how much we can realistically raise, looking at kind of like the market, the interest rate environment, 
And I always think that's a great starting point. And then usually from that, when I've had a chance to speak to boards and talk with them about that, we generally move to the logical next step, which is to go ahead and get pre-approved, file the application, figure out how much we're going to raise. And the one, I think, misconception, and I just want to emphasize to the audience is if you go get pre-approved, you absolutely do not have to. The NCUA rules allow you to wait or have two years to decide to do it without having to go to the regular. But if you decide, if your if you know, credit union decides, look, we don't want to do it, the timing's not right, rates are a little bit too high, you don't have to do that. And the other thing I would emphasize to the audience too is that the credit union, if you decide to issue and do it, just like any terms of business terms of a loan, you can set the market rate. So even if the market is, let's, I think right now the subdebt interest rate markets is generally in the fives to sixes. But if a board said, look, we don't, we'll issue, but we are not going to go out or pay more than five and a half percent, you have the flexibility to do that. There's no regulation that says, well, it has to be six percent or six and a half percent, or it's tied to the Fed funds rate or some objective interest rate. You as the credit union can set that market. It's just really a question of, can you raise the requisite capital at your desired rate? And that's you know where you're working with your placement agent, your investment banker, going out into your network and, and seeing if that's the case. You get pre-approved, you have up to two years to issue. Once that time frame has expired, is the process of getting re-approved simpler, shorter, cheaper? Yeah, it would probably be cheaper because you could just roll forward your your business plan and you kind of have the framework, you built the application. But yeah, you'd have to go back to the regulators and but under the NCUA rules, they take up to 60 days to get back to you. So you're just kind of resetting the process after that two-year period expires, which kind of makes sense because two years, you know, there could be a fundamental change to your business and the regulators want to kind of come back in and reevaluate what you're doing, I'm sure. But two years is a good window. I think. I mean, it gives you plenty of time to, you know, you never know. You may have potential acquisition opportunity, you know, on the offensive side, you know, something may happen defensively. You may have membership runoff or some massive charge-off issue with the loans gone bad, or you may just want some liquidity, just out of abundance of caution. But again, you've shrunk that period of time to get that capital once you get pre-approved to now a matter of weeks versus a matter of months. And I think that's the true value proposition to going in and getting pre-approved. Well, Jeff, I know from talking to you before that uh, our listeners are reaching out to get this white paper. So tell us how should uh, listeners go about getting the white paper so they can learn more about the process of issuing subdebt? Yeah, I would just say listeners out there, feel free to email me. My email is uh, jcardone at looselaw.com. I think, Doug, you have it posted. If not, you can go on our website at uh, www.looselaw.com. And if you click on my link, my email address is on there. Just shoot me an email and I'll happily send you a white paper. So that's looselaw, that's L-U-S-E law.com, right? Correct. Yep. And go to my name, Jeff Cardone. You'll see under the attorneys list, my email's on there and just shoot me an email and I'll happily uh, send the white paper. Awesome. Great, Jeff. Well, thank you for the update on the sub-debt market and M&A activity. I very much appreciate your continued service to the credit union movement. Uh, any final thoughts for our listeners today? I'll just repeat what I said before. If you're not low-income designated, become low-income designated and get pre-approved, whether you want to be an acquirer or you're in growth mode or even for defensive purposes. I think having access to extra liquidity and capital makes a lot of sense in either scenario. 
Excellent. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Doug. Great to be here. Appreciate it. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.